welcome to E-Commerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you so much for joining today. We are joined by Matthew Etzler from SmartWool. He is the global head of e-commerce, and we're very excited to learn from him. Tell us a little bit more about SmartWool for the people who are not familiar with the company, and a little bit more about your role as well. Yeah, thanks, John. Excited to be here. So SmartWool is a stock and apparel company that is rooted in performance apparel, and specifically that is constructed with a heavy focus on wool, specifically merino wool. I say sock and apparel in that order deliberately because we really started as a sock company and was founded up in the Colorado mountains, up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And the original product was hiking socks and ski socks. And those are sort of our iconic styles that the brand is really rooted in. And it started back in 1994. So we've been around for like 28 years now, if my math is correct there. And really for you know the first almost two decades of that, they were a sock company. And that's really our heritage. And really, it's been in the last 10 years and even more the last five that we've really started to expand into performance apparel and even a little bit of lifestyle apparel as well. And really have grown you know, specifically into base layer is kind of where we started. A lot of product that's next to skin, still get all the benefits out of merino wool. And then we've sort of gone from there. And if I bring it back to our purpose, which we've really gotten a lot of clarity in over the last couple of years, it's to bring comfort, confidence, and community to a life lived outside. And so I think that speaks to the fabric, merino wool itself, and the comfort that that brings and the performance aspects that are really great about it and really focuses on our emphasis of really being a performance-based brand for a lot of outdoor activities. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. For those that are not wool connoisseurs, tell us about Merino. That feels like it's, you know, especially over the last several years, gotten a lot of hype, gotten, you know, a lot of people entering into that space. Tell us why that's so attractive and why it's the performance, like you said, and the comfort aspects of it. Tell us more about it. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It has started to get a lot more attention recently, which is both great for us, but also a challenge for us. It's a lot more of a crowded space, but at the same time, you know, it's bringing awareness to a fabric that's really a great alternative to a lot of the synthetics out there that have really dominated the marketplace, especially in performance apparel over the last couple of decades. And we love it, one, because it's a natural material. It can be a lot more sustainable, which is you know, something that's really important to our brand. Already spoken about the word comfort a number of times. You know, this is not your grandma's wool sweater from the 1980s that's super itchy and leaves you red. Like it's actually a very, very comfortable material to wear. And then just some of the performance benefits specifically. So it really helps you keep dry and sweat free. I don't want to say moisture wicking because the science behind it's a little bit different. It actually removes the heat before it turns into liquid and sweat. It actually, it's a very porous fiber. So it lets heat exit the body naturally before it turns to sweat. It also is really good at regulating body temperature. You know, I think people think wool and automatically it's like, oh, it's a hot, it keeps you warm, but it actually regulates your body temperature and it can actually keep you cool in warm weather as well. And then lastly, it is great. And this is where it's really outshines synthetic, especially is it releases odor 
as well. So especially people, again, kind of going back to that outdoors performance, if you're backwoods hiking or camping or those sorts of things, you know, people will bring one shirt, wear it for two, three, four days, and you can do that without smelling like a pile of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a campfire is for, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, right? <laughs> oh, that's great. I guess in the context of the broader family slash community, you, know, you guys are part of BF Corp. For those, again, that are not, I'm sure most of our listeners would be, but tell us a little bit more about that dynamic. We may hearken back to it as we get a little bit deeper into your role specifically, but just tell us about, you know, kind of the family of brands that BF has invested in and why SmartWool? Yeah. So becoming a part of the BF family was really kind of a two-step process. So first, we were purchased by Timberland, which is a pretty well-known brand and it's up in the Northeast. And then from there, Timberland was actually acquired by BF. And BF is, for those of you that don't know, it owns a number of very well-known brands. North Face and Vans would probably be the two most well-known. Supreme is actually kind of a pretty hot brand in the last five years or so and actually just acquired them last year. So a number of other big, well-known brands. And then SmartWool is kind of in that in-between space for one of more of the emerging brands. It's starting to grow more nationally recognized, but certainly not anywhere close to the recognition of some of those others. But VF has really started to create a portfolio of companies in a couple key spaces. And one of those is outdoor, for sure. And really with companies that have an eye towards sustainability and circularity is something that a lot of the brands are working toward as well in terms of making their products more sustainable. So that's where we fit into that larger dynamic and corporate structure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, actually, if you're familiar with this, but we do represent North Face in Europe. We work with Eastpac here in the US too. So really Oh, interesting. No, I actually wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So we're huge admirers of the company, of the brands. And yeah, it's been really fun to get to know many of the different folks across the organization. So yeah, so tell us a little bit more. I mean, global head of e-commerce, that's a big title, regardless of how widespread and big the company is. That's a big remit. We work with e-commerce innovators, obviously, all the time in a work context and certainly in the context of this podcast, tell us more about what that role means and maybe how you kind of came into that role. I'm always curious to hear about our guests' trajectory and all the different turns that their career journey has taken them. So maybe you can just help us understand a little bit more about your background and how you ultimately made it to this point. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I started my career out in strategy consulting with Deloitte. Sort of did kind of the typical two-year run that a lot of strategy consultants coming out of college do. Got everything out of it that I wanted out of that experience. Two years of sort of, I think I knew, kind of going into it, what my shelf life was going to be for a lot of challenges for that career and that lifestyle with all the travel and the hours and things. But it was a great first step. But even during my time at Deloitte, I had developed an interest in kind of the retail practice and specifically, you know, what was emerging kind of at that time as a trend is this new term omni-channel or multi... It was multi-channel retailing first and and morphed into omni-channel. As I tried to figure out what my next step was going to be, I took six months off and went overseas for a while and had a really nice in-between there. But you know, eventually had to come back and join the real world again. And so as I looked at kind of what was ahead of me, Denver was super appealing to me. And I was kind of looking for, you know, a retail opportunity as well. And 
at the time, Sports Authority was headquartered here and obviously a very big retailer. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to land an opportunity on their e-commerce team. And I joined the operations team there. And Sports Authority, for people that don't know, is no longer in existence, you know, RIP to them. But I had a great five, six year run there. And coming at 2010 was the time that I joined them. It was kind of really fascinating for e-commerce because they had previously outsourced it all to another company. And so they were sort of late to the game in terms of bringing this in-house. So I think I joined as maybe their eighth person on their e-com and digital marketing team. And by the time I had left five years later, it was a team of 75 people. So really got to see a ton of growth, a ton of catching up. We actually had a lot of turbulence there as well. So I got to see some different leaders and management styles with a lot of different skill sets. So yeah. Got to learn a lot in my time there. And I don't think operations, you know, which is my focus was really on implementing new technologies and changing, you know, the actual front end user experience of the website and things like that. That's not necessarily the most typical path to then leading your own e-com team. Yeah. But, you know, I really credit being super well rounded from that experience is a good start. Eventually, I decided my time was up. In hindsight, I left at the perfect time because six months later is when Sports Authority actually went under. Wow. Not my primary reason for leaving. I knew it was <laughs> in cards, but sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And then I went over to a company called Coffee and Bagels, which is probably not a name that most people would recognize at its surface, but it's the parent company of two pretty beloved brands. One is Einstein Brothers Bagels. The other one's Caribou Coffee. There's also some smaller regional bagel brands that fall yeah. under that portfolio as well. But went over and really took a role that was kind of more head of digital strategy in that space. And that's where I started to become more closer to the business. And I didn't quite own my own P&L there or anything, but really helping with a lot of the strategy in terms of, you know, at that time, that was right around the time Starbucks rolled out their order ahead capability. So I was working with Caribou and their technical team to figure out the app and how we implemented that technology. Also, this was the time that Grubhub and DoorDash were blowing up. And so trying to figure out breakfast delivery for bagel brands, Einstein, Noah's is on the West Coast, trying to figure out you know, how we should approach that and implement delivery there. And then you know, when you think about just the website as well, it's really more about SEO and really local SEO and making sure that if people are typing in breakfast near me on their phones or yeah. coffee near me or bagels near me that you're showing up in that Google three pack. And so that was my focus initially. And then over time, I sort of got more and more brought in to help with the catering business. So a lot of people don't know this, but Einstein has a very large catering business that a lot of that is done ordered digitally, and then obviously fulfilled locally from our stores throughout the US. And so I helped with that. And that's where I got more into kind of the marketing side, specifically performance management paid search. And I bring that up specifically because that was my next step as I almost sort of rebelled against this big business thing. I decided <laughs> that maybe my time was up with these big businesses for a while. And I actually went and started my own digital marketing agency. And I don't want to... That could be its own podcast. So I don't really want to dwell on that. I would just say that you know, over the course of a year and a half, I did all right. It was a massive learning curve. I mean, I kind of consider it my real world MBA. And once I got to that year and a half mark though, wasn't growing quite as fast, wasn't seeing quite the momentum I wanted to see. And I had to kind of sit down and ask myself why and what would need to change if I was going to keep going. And the answer was I was going to have to spend way more time on sales and business development and cold outreach and a way less time on digital and actually doing the stuff that I enjoyed. And I 
have a ton of respect for people that do sales and business development. It was not for me. <laughs> I can only take so much rejection every single day. So, uh, you know, I just realized as I thought about that, I was just having a tougher and tougher time every day of like waking up and wanting to go to work. And that's not like me at all. So that was sort of my come to Jesus moment. And, you know, that very much led to, well, okay, if this isn't the right opportunity for you, when were you actually having the most fun? And it was easy. It was e-commerce. That's when I was having the most fun. And so then I kind of shifted back and came back to this life. And fortunately, retail and e-commerce is a pretty small world. So I was able to start some conversations and the smart wall opportunity opened up around that time. And one thing led to another and I got brought in and I was officially offered this position in late February of 2020. And I started five weeks later, which was one week after lockdown started for COVID. Wow. So started digitally and just sort of held on for dear life ever since. And it's been a crazy year and a half, immense growth, lots of pivoting, lots of trying to make things work, but at the same time, immensely gratifying, immensely successful for the business. And that's how I got to where I'm at now. No, I love it. I think it's a great... And a lot of those ties you've had are to kind of the greater Denver area. Did you grow up there? Or did you find your way there after college? Like, How did you get <laughs> in that area? One of the most random things I've ever done in my life. So I actually grew up in the Midwest, back in Indiana, went to Indiana University, yeah. and then on a very typical career path for a business major, moved up to Chicago for a couple of years. And that's when I was at Deloitte. And yeah. quickly realized that that was just a little too population dense, a little too big of a city for me. And I was really kind of left with like, well, where do I go next? Because you know, most of my family's in the Midwest, but yeah. you know, in towns that are maybe a little too small for me. And, you know, I knew I wasn't going to stay in Chicago. And (laughs) literally, like the thought rationale was, you love skiing. You've been out to Denver a couple of times. Like (laughs) you could drive to the mountains and ski. And Denver seems like the right size city. And that was literally it. And I sort of did what I call the two-year experiment where I said, I'm going to commit to this for two years. And if I hate it, I can always move back. And here I am, you know, 11, 12 years later now. Amazing. Good. The West was calling and you... It was. The The mountains were calling. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, we're just across a few ridge lines over here in Salt Lake City. But yeah, it's a very beautiful kind of place if you can avoid some of the wildfires. But yeah, it's so great, especially this time of year and the ski season is fabulous. So yeah, I'm interested. I think we'll touch on this in a little bit. But you know, the trajectory kind of of obviously strategy, but then into doing e-commerce at a retailer then doing e-commerce at a brand that is also a retailer, and then kind of going into truly, I think, actually, I don't know if SmartWool owns any of its own stores, but my gut is like, no, it's probably more of like a traditional wholesale type of organization that doesn't have as much of that retail piece of it. Can you talk a little bit to that transition plus the idea of how is it to come into an organization to kind of spearhead a thing that is probably not super germane or native to the kind of culture slash strategy of an organization that you kind of have to help bring into quote unquote the modern age. That must have been a really interesting exercise. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're pretty spot on where Smart Oil is almost entirely wholesale driven in terms of a physical store presence. We have a couple exceptions out there. Usually they're in mountain towns at the base of the mountain there. We partner with some people to have a specific Smart Wool branded store. But those are by far the exception to the rule. Mostly you will find us in outdoor specialty shops as well as some of the bigger chains across the country as well. So for a very, very long time. It was just a wholesale brand. And this is a little bit of secondhand account because I, again, only joined two years ago. But my understanding of kind of how the website got started was sometime in the mid aughts, you know, 2004 or five, somewhere in that time frame, they started the website. And I believe it was specifically geared toward our pro audience. So we partner with pros and give people special deals if they work on mountains, you know, at the resorts or as ski guides or yeah. you know, search and rescue, those sorts of things. And that was the scope of the intent for the website was to get those people access to our products easier. I think wow. they quickly realized like there was a bigger consumer opportunity out there. And then sort of naturally, you know, over the next decade started growing that organically. But you know, it was always the small kind of stepchild of the business for a lot of the time yeah. where it was like, yeah, we have our wholesale business. That's what we are. And then we're doing this e-commerce thing on the side. And so you know, it never really been seriously invested in in terms of people and resources and even attention. And so I think that was changing in the years just before I came and it started to become a more significant piece of the business. And I mean, I think industry trends were pretty clear at that point that you know, this was something that they needed to do in a more serious way. And so I think that transformation started kind of in the years ahead of me. But specifically, this was also kind of at the exact same time that because Smartwool is a VF company, they were actually moving from where they were traditionally based up in Steamboat and down to Denver. So there was some turnover with people that very much wanted to stay in that mountain lifestyle town, understandably. So this was one of those positions that opened up and I was able to come in and Like I said, I came in a week after COVID lockdowns. And so, you know, if there was a desire to get more digitally savvy and grow the e commerce business, that just poured a ton of gasoline on that fire. (laughs) And so that kind of set the stage for everything we've done over the last year and a half. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I can imagine, you know, you're kind of on the precipice and maybe have started to put your tentacles into this world of e commerce and then boom, here comes COVID. And it just pushes it right over the edge and you're in it. You're in the thick of it. And probably wholesale business is starting to decline and everyone's starting to go online because they're all in quarantine or they don't want to go into the retail stores. And tell us about that awakening. How much of the infrastructure or architecture... Did you already have a good kind of front door experience for the brand in terms of that? Happy to have you even go into like what technology were you guys using? What was the a CMS that you guys were using to build the front end? Did that have to change at all? Did the drop ship relationships, like, was that already in place? Did it have to get fast tracked? Like, how much disruption occurred because of this unanticipated pandemic? Yeah, thankfully, not as much as other businesses. Like I said, I think that shift to we need to make e commerce a real part of our business had really started a couple years before I came on board. So, a lot of the technology infrastructure was in place. I think what wasn't yet in place was one, how do we get the e-com team out of their own silo? Because up until right before I came on board, e-commerce had its own marketing arm that was sort of doing its own thing. 
our operations slash planning team. We actually had an e-com planner that planned the inventory for our business that was totally separate from the wholesale planners. And so they were really kind of on their own island, kind of doing their own thing. So I think that was challenge number one. And then two, because they had all of these positions that were really other functions but lived in e-com, it actually left very few people to optimize for the things that an e-com team should be focused on while they're working with these other functions from other parts of the group. So right before me, they had addressed the marketing piece and they had really not only took the brand marketing, but they also took performance marketing and moved it into that larger Team. I think that comes with pros and cons and is maybe a little less traditional, but it's something that's worked out really well for us. And then I quickly kind of followed suit in moving that planning function over to the ops team so that we had one team that was looking at our total company inventory and we could more think about it holistically versus kind of having these two separate buckets and groups that didn't talk as often to each other. Of course, I'm simplifying, right? I mean, it's not like they didn't talk to each other at all. And whatnot, but it was ready to take the next step into becoming truly more of this omni-channel retailer that had wholesale as well as e-com. So I think that was one piece. And then the other one was just advocating for you know more e-com resources so that we could get more specialized people into our business that really understood a specific function of e-commerce, whether that be merchandising or on-site optimization or even just digital analytics. Those were the three that we really focused on bringing in. Yeah, I love that. I think it's... And honestly, some of that specialization, I think is a lot of times the front door to innovation starting to happen because you get these folks in roles that really can dive deep and really kind of spread their wings as it relates to their given function. So maybe you can speak a little bit to the type of innovation that has happened under your watch, whether that's related to COVID, whether it's not, but how have you kind of set up the team and some of the goals for your organization to kind of foster or accelerate in terms of that innovation? Yeah. So I like to think that SmartWall is doing a ton on the innovation front, really across the org. I mean, one of the other great things about coming into this organization at the time that I did was that our product team is really starting to dial in on what their product roadmap looks like over the coming years and how they're continuing to innovate. Our marketing team for 20 some years, you know, SmartWool was really a brand that did marketing, but really grew a lot by word of mouth and did not have multi-million dollar budgets to spend on growing our brand awareness and things like that. That's really only sort of morphed in the last half decade and probably even less than that. So there's a lot of teams outside of e-com that are really setting us up for success. You know, I like to say e-commerce is a team sport. It really is e-com team, but it's actually everyone else has a role in our success as well. But within the e-commerce team itself, I really focused us on just trying to innovate, what I call innovating in the everyday. So it's not super sexy stuff. But because we're a part of VF, one of the advantages there is we actually have some really powerful tools and technology in terms of some of our site search tools, some of our A-B testing tools, those sorts of things. And we really, again, because we had to do so many things in our own silo, we didn't have anyone that was specifically focused on those things. So I brought in someone specifically to focus on optimizing our site search, making sure that when there are, you know, we had something like 12, 15% of our site searches were resulting in no results. You know, he's been able to bring that down to like 4% or something much, much lower, right? I'd say we kind of did that across every aspect of the business. 
to just, you know, all these small things that add up to a much better user experience. You know, over this last summer, our team was heavily focused on a taxonomy study of like, how should our products be organized into different categories? How many products fit in only one category versus multiple categories? And then within each of those categories, what are the facets that should be, you know, related so that consumers can filter on things and get down to the exact product specs that they want and making sure all the underlying data for those facets is correct. Like a lot of very foundational building stuff, but I think that's a key. I think we like to group e-commerce into one big thing, like it's all the same. But if you look at a small digital native brand that has 10 SKUs, it's a very, very different business and a different focus than when you start to get much, much larger. And it's not even so much about revenue as it is about one SKU count, I think is a big one. And then two to me is whether you're an omni-channel retailer or not. If you're just selling online, all those support functions that help e-commerce succeed that I was talking about, planning, product, marketing, they're all laser focused in on how they can bring products to life digitally. Whereas for us, we are starting to educate the rest of the organization. Again, not that they don't intuitively get it, but devil's in the details, right? And so when you have a process for bringing product to market that's twice a year on a wholesale calendar, trying to figure out how to be faster and more nimble to bring products to life more often on the website, it's actually a big undertaking in and of itself. And so that's an area that we've really been focused on as well. It's really e-commerce fundamentals and just making sure that our product is showing up online, tons of emphasis on findability, on product content and those sorts of things. And then the other one is kind of longer term, making sure that everyone in the organization understands how we can be successful online and how we may have to change some of our processes that were really in place to be optimized for wholesale, how we need to accommodate for e-commerce. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that we could kind of double click on. Yeah. Sorry. I think I I threw a lot at you. (laughs) No, I, I think it's fascinating. I think maybe just coming back and level setting a little bit back to that earlier comment of like, okay, you worked at a retailer specifically, you move to this hybrid retailer slash brand, and then you kind of end up where you're at right now. And I think about, again, at a macro level, the smart wall customer is obviously buying in brick and mortar and specialty retail for sure, especially as that starts to rebound. And I'm sure winter is a massive time of year for you guys. You've got other like marketplaces and things like that, which may or may not kind of roll into you like Amazon or Walmart or something like that. I don't even know if you guys sell Walmart, but... And then you've got obviously the D2C.com type of experience. And do you feel like you're, I guess, reaching different customers for all those channels? Do you feel like you're just creating a different experience? Like, How do you think about... And you kind of grew up in this world of strategy and the consulting side, but how do you think about that channel specifically that you're managing in relation, you said omni-channel a handful of different times. How do you think about it? What is that strategy? And what is truly the goal of the dot-com as it relates to maybe some of those other channels where your customers are going to be found? Yeah, I think that's the million-dollar question, right? That's certainly the one that keeps me up at night sometimes. And candidly, we're not doing near as much as we want to differentiate that experience. When you look at other retailers that have loyalty programs or you know you have Amazon that really has prime and yeah. its fulfillment speed right it's like what is the reason for 
people to come to smartwolf.com to buy. And in a way that is also still responsible, understanding that we have this wholesale channel that we also want to succeed as well. Like We don't want to become a direct-to-consumer brand. We think that having a presence in physical retail is a huge, important part of our story because, again, it's about the material and we're a more performance-based brand. There's some stuff that's really hard to translate digitally when you think about, again, wool. Is it going to be scratchy? How thick is it? Those sorts of things, right? So it's not just about how do we get everyone into the smartphone.com experience. We want that balance and we want both channels to succeed. But we do have a smartwell.com channel that we are trying to grow, right? And certainly for our most loyal customers, we want to understand who they are and what their buying habits are. And you know that's going to help us with our product strategy across all channels. So as we really think about it, I think there's a lot more we can do on the e-com side. But thankfully, we have a marketing team that is ahead of us on this and really focused on the brand and bringing the right stories to our website and helping us, you know, market. They have partnered with product and, you know, other companies and brands to bring collabs that are offered as digital exclusives. We have sort of built that out as well so that we, you know, always try and have some exclusive product, especially for blowing out the color assortment for some of our best-selling products it is one thing that we've been really focused on and you know, I think another one where we've realized we can help ourselves and our wholesale partners is trying out new product innovation. So it gives us an exclusive story to talk about, but we can actually prove through our own digital channel whether something has momentum or not before we take that out to the larger sales team and start selling that through wholesale as well. So exclusive product, I think, is only one piece of the story. And you know, I don't think we're ever going to have one thing like Amazon with Prime, right? I think they can kind of hang their hat on that and win there. I think we have to be thinking much more about like how can we make sure that we have the most product content, the best buying tools. We have a stock finder tool that we think is a really great experience for our consumers. You know, we're yeah. looking at a fit finder tool as well to help instill confidence around that people are buying the right size for our exact product. So I think that's a big piece of it. But then I think there's just this whole other chunk and something we're really going to look to tackle in the next year or so is how do we insert our company values, our brand values, our personality actually into our website? Because I think we've done a good job now of really tackling the fundamentals of the business. Mm -hmm. And now we need to bring more of that brand story into play at really every touch point, right? And I mean, I even think of like easy opportunities we have. Like we have very generic, like your order has been received, your order has shipped. You know, we're known as a playful, fun-loving brand, but we don't bring any of that personality into some of our consumer touch points. So stuff as simple as that to another successful program that I'll just highlight is this past spring, you know, kind of around Earth Day, we launched a program we call Second Cut, which is about asking consumers to send us their old socks so that we can recycle them and turn them into new products. And we started with kind of that crawl, walk, run approach of like the product we started for was one that we just knew that we could make, which was a dog bed, which is not what you're going to think of Smartwool as. But like the goal was never like we're entering the dog bed market. It was how do we start to learn how much response we can get back from consumers in terms of how many materials they're going to send in? How do we start to chop those up 
make them into new products. And eventually it's not going to be dog bed filling. It's going to be new fibers that we can actually turn into new products. So those are some of the ways that we're thinking about differentiating our experience from some of our wholesale partners. Yeah. Well, I think about, especially in like these ski shops or, you know, mountain resort type of areas, I do think just the experience, the tactile nature of it, the ability to hold the sock, to feel the sock, to try on the sock, right? To be able to have someone maybe even helping you try it on, telling you about all those benefits we talked about earlier of merino wool. Like, There's a lot of just goodness there that comes. It's no surprise to me that you guys have been so successful in that channel. And then I think about, you mentioned Amazon, and Amazon's great. Prime shipping, you know, the ease, the kind of tapping into that habit of the customer, whatever. Discoverability is sometimes hampered there for sure. But at the very least, like just convenience. But I think it becomes pretty hard to kind of mimic that same story on a platform like Amazon that you really don't control. You can't really personalize it, right? There's a lot of drawbacks there. And so D2C becomes this nice bridge for you guys to be able to personalize the experience a little bit more, test things out, widen the selection, right? Because in that ski shop, you may only actually have socks. So the ability to kind of, through things like email as well, or retargeting or social, but to be able to help brands, or I should say customers, experience more of the brand, move into whatever base layers or gloves or hats or something like that, that you are able to kind of serve them up. I think... Yeah, I don't know. The strategies are obviously very different. The mediums are different. But I think you guys are doing a really good job from what I could tell on the site of being able to kind of, like you said, tell that brand story, cross-sell or upsell, as well as bring to bear more of the values and the culture and innovation and heart and soul of the company. And I think that second cut initiative is just super cool. It seems like very aligned to the type of customers that you guys already have. And yeah, absolutely. Aspire to. So I just think that's so great. Well, maybe tell us a little bit of some of the challenges you've confronted. Obviously, like COVID notwithstanding, but like, what are some of the challenges of your role at this company? Yeah, well, I think I've already touched on one of the primary ones a couple times here, which is just you know we are a company that's rooted in wholesale, and so how do you start to build that awareness throughout all of the different functions about what it takes to not just do well in e-commerce, but really thrive there and make that kind of the epicenter of your brand. And I think we're making a lot of strides there. But as I think about other ones, one of the big ones that we're just challenged with, not only for smartworld.com, but all digital channels is, and even to an extent wholesale, is this idea of like telling the story that wool actually works in warm weather. It is not just a, it's snowing outside, put on the wool. Like it actually is a really great material for middle of summer when it's 90 degrees out as well, as long as you get the thickness and the construction right. Like it's a great performance material for that as well. I think that's one that becomes especially hard again, as you think about bringing that to life in digital and telling that story. Yeah. So I think that's one. I think another one is I mentioned bringing smart world purpose and values to life online. I think a couple things, we've talked about sustainability as one of those things. Inclusivity is another one that we're really leaning into a lot. And it's something we've done for a long time, but really kind of starting to double down and get much better at that. And I think if I focus on those two things as values, I think there's two things. One, standing out based on those because you know sustainability especially is something that's just kind of becoming table stakes 
in the outdoor industry, wanting to protect, you mentioned wildfires earlier, right? Like protecting our outdoors. So it's like the stuff we use to go be outdoors needs to be sustainable. But I also just think doing those things in an authentic way, they're both really hard. And when I say inclusivity, I guess just to be clear, I mean, we kind of think about that in really all aspects, right? So that could be gender, that could be race, that could be sexual orientation, body size, like all of those things. Those are really hard subjects to tackle. And we want to do it authentically. And I think from a sustainability side, there's a lot of greenwashing that happens is a term that we use in the industry where people like to put these nice little symbols that say it's super eco-friendly when kind of the science behind whether it is or not is dubious. And, you know, listen, like we're not perfect. Like we've tried to communicate this as a journey that we're trying to get to. We just transitioned to recycled nylon in our socks from virgin nylon because not all of our product can be merino wool. We actually get yelled at sometimes online because we don't use 100% merino wool in our products, but it's like for a sock, it would just be kind of a shapeless blob if it was 100% merino. You need yeah. some things to actually give it the shape and the yeah. elasticity that it needs. And so again, it's a journey trying to get to, we want to use this natural fiber as much as we can, but we have materials that aren't as sustainable that we're trying to make better. And you know, on the inclusivity front, again, I think there's kind of that same thing. You know, I've seen an increasingly amount of backlash on pride specifically is a really good example right now where it's like June rolls around, people roll out their product, put a rainbow on it and be like, we love everyone. Right. And 11 months of the year, they don't do anything else. And so, you know, when we're trying to bring these things to life in terms of not just online, but just within our culture in general, making sure we're trying to do that authentically. And I think the other part is like, not everyone agrees on what the standard should be, right? So even when you're trying to do well, you're going to have differing opinions on what doing well. So I think that's a big one for us as well. It's not just a e-com challenge, but a company challenge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, companies and people alike, you know, being authentic, trying to do the right thing, trying to improve and make strides to do things better is what this is all about. It's what all of our journeys are kind of all about. So I think that's great. And I commend you guys for all the strides you guys are making on that front. I think it's just really great. So man, maybe as we kind of wrap up here a little bit, this has been fascinating. I feel like I keep talking around some of these topics for a really long time, but you talked about some of the challenges and trends that you guys have been able to capitalize on, right? And kind of move the business forward. Anything else that kind of comes to mind that we haven't really talked about yet that's, again, trends you guys are trying to capitalize on or challenges you're trying to overcome or you know things that you're looking forward to as you continue to innovate the business? Yeah. I mean, I'll just keep going on my last point because I mentioned inclusivity. I'm really excited specifically about some of the products that we're coming out with. So specifically, we see an opportunity to, I mentioned some of our values, I guess the third one that I didn't focus on as much, but just advocacy for the outdoors, protecting the outdoors, that kind of relates back to sustainability. But the other one is getting people to the outdoors and especially people that don't always have easy access to the outdoors or just come up with barriers. And one of the things that we realized is that especially in performance apparel, most companies design around the standard size curve. And there's actually a significant portion of the United States that doesn't fit on that traditional size curve. And so We're looking at expanding into plus size, which is not just making things bigger, but specific to different body types and things like that, because that's a barrier, right? If you want to go out into 
the outdoors and especially when elements are at play, whether it's cold or whether it's heat or whether you just need a comfortable pair of socks or whatever, right? Like we want to make sure that that's not the thing that's prohibiting you from getting outside and enjoying the outdoors. So I think that's one. To a lesser extent, we've started to look at some gender neutral collections as well. But again, I think that's something we want to make sure that we get right or kind of back to that authenticity of making sure that we're looking at that correctly and not just designing something that looks like a man or a woman would wear it and then just calling it gender neutral, but making sure that we have all the supporting product content with you know, yeah. different size charts and things like that, that really make it clear you know, what that product is supposed to be and that sort of thing. So I think that's, again, just kind of on industry trends and especially just leaning into inclusivity. Those are some things we're really excited about that we're, again, trying to do. And it'll be a journey. We won't get it 100% right, but starting to introduce it and we'll hopefully get better and better. Kind of on the other side of the coin, if I bring it back to the e-commerce basics, I mean, personalization, I feel like has been a trend for eight years. And, you know, I even left traditional e-commerce for like five years and I came back and it didn't really feel like anyone was that much better at it. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out that piece as well and start to make sure that we can tailor more of our content based on consumer preferences. You know, I think a big one, all the topic rage in the industry right now is like, the cookies going away, right? The third party cookie. And so developing this first party data strategy. And, and yes, that's a serious issue. And it's going to bring lots of challenges for marketers and e-com businesses. But I think one of the things about working in a big company like VF is that you can't control as much. And sometimes that means that it's not always your headache. Yeah. But it also means you lose some control as well. And so we run into a lot of constraints and things we'd love to tackle with our website and make better. But for one reason or another, we can't. And I think kind of the same thing is as marketers start to lose control of the cookie and being able to retarget as much, I mean, it's really an opportunity to build your first party data. But even more than that, it's thinking about giving your consumers reasons of why they should give you first party data, right? Building that trust more, showing them that if they give you their preferences on what their favorite activities are, you're going to show them more relevant content that's going to resonate better with them, right? So kind of thinking about it from like a win-win perspective versus just this like, oh no, we need to get as many email addresses as we possibly can, right? I think, yes, like that's important for the business, but it's actually an opportunity for the people that want to, that give you the permission to deepen the relationship with them. So I think that's really something that we're thinking about as well. Well, I love it. And I think it all just ties back into that concept of authenticity. And have you earned kind of the right to have that relationship? Exactly. Through that authenticity and by genuinely like, you know, addressing them and meeting them where they're at, whether that's again, on the size curve, whether that's on orientation, whether that's on the things that they truly care about, etc. So yeah, I think you guys are obviously heading in the right direction. I think it's very exciting. And again, I really commend you guys for the strides that you're making on that front. Well, Matthew, it's been amazing to chat with you. I really appreciate the time that you carved out for us too. And I know our listeners will feel the same. So yeah, any other last things that we haven't covered that would be worthwhile for our listeners to hear about or know about, either about you or Smart Wool or BF or anything? No, I don't think so. I think I've spoken plenty. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we're out of this crazy world soon enough. Yeah. Somewhat back to normal. But either way, I think we'll just keep putting one foot in front of the other and try to do our best here. So again, congratulations on building so many amazing things and having such a great career. And it was a pleasure getting to know you and hope to have you back on the show again sometime soon. 
Yeah, absolutely. This was great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much, Matthew. Have a good one. You too. Take care.